This is the greatest hour to follow Jesus. Our dear friend Jeremy Riddle is joining us tonight. And uh, I asked Jeremy, who I can see now on that monitor back there, he looks amazing as usual. <laughs> I, I, wanted, um, I wanted Jeremy to, uh, I, I really feel the presence of God. I, I wanted Jeremy to speak into what's, uh, what's in our hearts, and it's ultimately in his heart as well. Jeremy just wrote a book about worship named it The Reset, and as I began to read the book, uh, I would literally find sentence after sentence that I had been preaching here to you guys. Same terminology, same perspectives. That happened one other time. Uh, when I first met Bill Johnson, I, prior to meeting Bill, I had never heard Bill, and I would say stuff like, we shouldn't gather around sermons. We should gather around the presence of God. And then I heard Bill say it, and I'm like, oh, wow. You, maybe you don't just talk to one person. <laughs> maybe the kingdom is bigger than me. But Jeremy, I just want to say, is a, uh, what Jeremy's impact is found really at, at the roots of this worship movement. Uh, Two years ago, we were in a little room with 72 students, and uh, Jeremy and I came a little late, and the students had been singing for 45 minutes this prophetic song. They were singing, all my eggs are in one basket. All my trust is found in you. Well, we, Jeremy and I didn't know that. We were just driving to the, to the facility at the time, so uh, I gave the mic to Jer, and I said, man, just take the pulpit, do whatever you need to do be you. Even if you screw up, we'll clean it up. <laughs> just, just go for it. We just want the full throttle version. He's like, really? I go, yeah, totally. <laughs> so Jer takes the, the pulpit. Some of the third years would remember this. Jer takes the pulpit and says, I just feel like we need to put all of our eggs in one basket. And the place started screaming, crying, laughing. And I'm like, you know, I thought it was a good statement, but I'm like, man, I mean, <laughs> it was nice. I mean, it was great, but I mean, gosh. You know, I'm doing an exegesis on John 1, and they're like, that was good. Jer says, I just feel like we need to put all of our eggs in one basket, and the place goes bananas, and I didn't know why, but I, had, I didn't know that they had been singing it for uh, 45 minutes, maybe. And so Jer at the time said, does anybody feel called to worship? I know a few of us, you guys put your hands up, and he laid hands on you guys. And uh, here we are today. The Lord has been faithful. The Lord is good. So, Jer, we love you. And uh, before Jer gets started, I just want us to honor Jeremy for his yes to Jesus and for who he is in the Lord. That honor will set us up, I believe, for all God has for us tonight. So I want us all to welcome and honor Jeremy Riddle by Zoom. Can we do that?
<laughs> All right. Good evening, Jerry. We love you. Hey, hey. How are you guys? <laughs> um, so, Jer, uh, I love your book, and um, I've read about half of it. I'm sure the other half is solid. <laughs> But I am endorsing the entire first half. I just want to say that. <laughs> um, but Jeremy, in the most raw way, I mean, what's, what's going on in your heart? What is, what is burning in you regarding worship? And uh, why did you even write that book? And why are you being so bold and saying the things you're saying right now? Uh, first of all, guys, um, it's I'm hearing my own echo. Oh, so never done this before. Anything we can um, do about that? I, I will overcome. Um, first of all, I just want to say it's so. Um, good to even just experience you guys this way and experience what God is doing um, at Jesus image. And my heart was so moved. I was there the entire worship time. And most importantly, um, I, uh, I was so wrecked at the altar call and I just feel um, my heart's just so moved. So I don't even know all, all that I'm going to say, but um My heart, my heart burns for the church to know what real worship is. Um, worship is not the thing that catches in the earth through lectures. Um, it's, it's, it's not like we go to a new believers course or you go to the worship course, you go to worship one-on-one and you emerge from that course with a badge or certificate of like, oh yeah, I, I get it. I, I, I understand what worship is now. Um, it doesn't work like that. Um, worship catches in the earth um, in a room where people are worshiping God in spirit and in truth and in that place of purity and in that place of power that's where worshipers are made and one of our primary goals one of our primary assignments the commandment that we've been given is to make disciples and disciples are first and foremost worshipers of the living God they're the thing that the father is seeking on the earth he's seeking people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And as, as I've given myself to understand how this thing called worship advances in the earth, you know, how people catch it, as I've studied my own life, you know, uh, I didn't learn how to be a worshiper um, through a class, you know, that no, no, one, no one said, here's the three points, you know. It, I discovered worship. I learned how to be a worshiper um, initially through my mom and dad. I, I, you know, my dad would get up at four or five in the morning, um, consistently, almost throughout his entire life. Um, and he never led worship for more than 20, 30 people, probably. But every morning, um, <laughs> I had a modern day David singing in the corner of the house and to the Lord in the most wild, extravagant fashion. And um, I would come into like a semi-conscious state as a kid all the time. And and that was just normal life. And I'm like, yep, 
the howling is is my dad and he's he's praying in tongues he's he's just going after it and that was just normal and i had no idea at the time of what was being formed in my heart as a worshiper and to this day when i take a stage right when i get behind a guitar whatever it may be i realize so clearly that i'm standing on the freedom and on the witness and on the i am the fruit of my father's worshiping life in 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 so many ways and i i know that worship yeah it's good i had to turn you all down but i can hear (laughs) vague applause (laughs) it's good so forgive me if i talk over you but um But I've studied this thing of worship and the way that worship truly advances. John Wimber said more is caught than taught. And I really do, I I see this happen over and over and over again. When, When a small group of people begin to tap into this thing, begin to learn how to minister to the Lord, begin to learn how to move in spirit and in truth, begin to learn how to pour out their hearts like water in the presence of the Lord. When they begin to do this, it worship explodes on the earth because of that. The enemy is not ignorant of that. The enemy is not ignorant of how worship moves, of how worship catches. And so ever since the thing began to explode, really in the, in the late 60s and early 70s, ever since worship began to explode, it, it came out of, its, out of its boxes in so many ways. Um, and it began to explode. It, 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 there was powerful revelation, simple powerful revelation that caused worship to explode in the earth and ever since that it's like the enemy has been looking for ways to sabotage the purity and the power of worship because it destroys is the realm of darkness it destroys the gates of hell it destroys the works of the devil and um and i wrote the book that reset because ultimately i burned for the church to be the worshipers that the Father is seeking because I burn to see worship leaders rise up in the purity uh, of their call because I burn to see the, the, the nations caught up in worship because I burn to see this thing sweep the earth as it was meant to sweep the earth. But if we allow the enemy to gain a foothold, if we allow the enemy to gain a stronghold in this thing, if we continue to allow things like celebrity and self-indulgence and 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 so many different inroads that the enemy has got into the modern day worship movement. If we continue to allow that, all this beautiful freedom that has pushed and advanced and caused the worship movement to explode, I really feel it will be sabotaged. And um, we have to take a hard look at some things that we've partnered with, that we've allowed in. Um, and we have to return to the heart. We have to return to the heart of worship. We have to we have to experience a reset. We have to do a work of repentance in our own lives, in our own hearts. That this beautiful thing called you know called worship that we've known to experience that is really water for the nations to drink from. It, it, it is supposed to be the gateway for many to come into the kingdom of God. That this thing would not only be preserved, but it would be elevated to its full expression that heaven. The worship that is in heaven right now would actually begin to be realized on the earth. And I could say a lot more, but maybe I'll just let you interrupt me. It's so good, Jer. Um, amazing, actually. Yeah, so there's more worship in heaven than preaching. And uh, <laughs> so if we pray for heaven, 
to come to earth. We need to get comfortable worshiping and, 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 and uh, realize it's not a precursor to a better moment called the sermon. Uh, Jesus is the moment. He, his presence himself. So I love that, Jer. Jer, uh, practically, what are some of the pitfalls? Like, well, let me ask you, let, let, me, let me say it another way. Uh, what are some of the markers, in your opinion, that have been used to gauge good worship that are not necessarily God's way of gauging worship? And then how, what is God looking for uh, in true worship? How does God see? What is God looking for? And then what have we raised up uh, to determine uh, what true worship is? You know, it's... Uh it's a tricky question to answer in some ways. Um, and I realize that I'm not speaking to industry executives. I'm, I'm not speaking to worship leaders um, um, or musicians or people that might have some kind of understanding of some of the stuff that goes on behind the scenes that, um, um, you know, along these lines. I'm, I'm speaking to people. I, I watched the room. I looked at the room tonight and so many sincere hearts just on fire for Jesus, and and I don't necessarily. Um, not everything in the reset is 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 um, necessarily directed at, at at the worshiping church. It's really directed, particularly at, at leaders who need to be aware of some of these pitfalls. But um, one of the things about worship that I think you know is applicable. One of one of the pitfalls. One of the one of the things we always have to watch. Is, is when something becomes, when there's a lot of favor on something, when something becomes incredibly popular, when, when, when something begins to explode. And man, there's, there's, a, there's a sobriety um, on a lot of things, but man, nothing creates more sobriety in me than favor. <laughs> because at no point can something be so easily derailed or so easily manipulated or, you know, as in a moment of favor. And, um, um, I think one of the most, the quickest way that the enemy can kill the purity of something um, or manipulate the purity of something or compromise, compromise the purity of something is in a, in a moment of great popularity. And um, most worship leaders who have any kind of significant anointing on their life know this. They know the warfare over their soul. They know, they, 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 they know that ancient warfare, and it's a very ancient warfare. Um, and... Um, and they're navigating that and we're navigating, you know, the trying to distinguish, you know, with stages and lights and camera and streaming and numbers um, and all of this stuff that we never really had to navigate 20, you know, 30 years ago, but we have to navigate it now. And, and, um, and purity is, um, uh, popularity is, is just, uh, it's a precarious moment. You know, for us, and and I've been tested by it. I've been thoroughly sifted by it. I I I, I kind of make a joke. I, I said, you know, if idleness is the devil's play, you know, if idleness is the devil's workshop, then popularity is his playground, and um, he really can wreak havoc on so many people. Um, uh, in this place, and um, I think the way that we we combat that is we have to keep worship costly. And um, I've been thinking about the journey of worship, and I've been thinking about um, what it truly means to worship the Lord, and I've been thinking about the the progression, you know, that's happened. And 
If you think about it, the worship that we experience today is largely because someone paid a price. Um, it was costly to be a pioneer in worship. Um, and honestly, the level of persecution most true worshipers experienced back in the day, honestly, not many survived it. Um, it was really, really brutal. And um, I was even just thinking, um, obviously, I, you know, one of the things I bring up in the book is the, the, the picture of the woman, you know, who, who um, despite um, the whole room turning against her, <laughs> essentially makes her way to the feet of Jesus, breaks a precious bottle of perfume, wipes, you know, the feet of Jesus with, you know, with her tears and with her hair. We, we, we hear that story all the time, but sometimes the thing that we miss is how costly it was for her to do that. We interpret that through a modern day lens. It's a popular story told on worship and we really have no idea how costly that act was, how offensive it was um, to people and how the only response that night was outrage. It was just, just whether it was internal or external, people were very confused and, and very uncomfortable and um, nobody really understood what she was doing. Only Jesus understood that. It was an incredibly costly act for her when it comes to dignity. And, um, you know, it's so funny. One of, my, one of my, I know you guys are familiar. You just had Stephanie Gretzinger um, uh, join you guys, wow, not too long ago. And I know that she's close to the Kulianuses and just uh, it's such a beautiful thing that the Lord is, is doing there. But, you know, I had a privilege to lead alongside Steph for, I don't know, seven, eight years. But, and it's so funny now, you know, I, it's hardly a place or a church I go to where I don't see little steps <laughs> kind of everywhere, you know, they're, they're just everywhere. But you know, it was costly to be Stephanie, you know, back in the day, it was costly to be her. It wasn't always met with wild acceptance. <laughs> in fact, um, there are many, many a set where um, it was only met with resistance and it was only met with judgment. And, um, and um, it's costly to be a Bill Johnson. He, you know, he lost most of his congregation with some of the things that he set, you know, in place. It's costly to be a David. I remember Melissa Helser telling me a story um, where she was leading worship. And this is way, way back in the day. I just met her. This is like 2012. And um, she told me about what she considers, this, it's not really her most embarrassing moment in worship, but... She was feeling the presence of the Lord so strong. Worship was going beautifully, and she felt she had to do this, this, this act. I don't know what it was, but she had to basically pour out her heart in such a way to Jesus. And she gets on the microphone, and she just basically has a mini, maybe not mini, not even minor, maybe a major meltdown on the stage, just blubbering. And it was, it was... Um, it was before many people even had a context for this kind of worship, um, had a grid for it, um, knew, knew even how to celebrate it. Now we celebrate this stuff, but this is before anybody knew how to celebrate it. And the whole, and it really just all of a sudden, it derailed the set, it derailed the moment. Um, that's what it felt like to her at least. She felt awkward, she felt naked, she felt exposed in it, but she knew that it was what she was supposed to do. and. Um, Graham Cook was, was, was in the room and Graham Cook came up and he covered her in that moment. And he, and he gave the room context for that moment. And um, very much like Jesus did for his disciples there. He, he, he's like, he's like, leave her alone. He's like, wherever 
I mean, this is a crazy statement. Wherever the gospel is proclaimed, what this woman did will be told alongside that. And sometimes I've just been thinking, I've been thinking about the cost that was paid in worship. It used to be costly to lift your hands. You know, it used to be costly to raise your voice. It used to be costly to lift up a shout of praise. Oh my gosh, was it costly to sneak in a shofar um, to any gathering. It was costly to dance before the Lord. These were very, very costly things. People were, were persecuted, ridiculed, mocked when they did these things. And now we're like, game on. It's no longer anywhere near as costly to lift our hands to the Lord as it was. And so I find myself wondering, Lord, what's the cost? What's the cost we get to pay? What's the cost this generation gets to pay to see this thing worship realized, to see the purity of this thing fully touched, to, to touch the heart of God? Even if a whole room doesn't understand, even if nobody around us understands the price that we're paying, even if nobody gets it, what's the cost that we get to pay in this, in our life, in our generation to see worship yet again explode in purity and power? And let me, let me, just, let me just say this, guys. One of the testing moments of, of, of this year has been, has been this pandemic, you know, great testing for so many leaders, great testing for the church. And um, I, I want to say, man, my heart, just, just being on the Zoom, just being watching worshipers in a room, I feel like a starved man. <laughs> I feel like someone who has, you know, had to live outside the courts of the Lord for too long, you know. And, um, and um, but you know, it's easy to worship when you're surrounded by hungry hearts. It's easy to worship when the mood is right, when the musicians are amazing, when the worship leader is anointed. It's easy to worship. But the thing that I've been praying for the church in, in this moment is, is that we would tap into the purity and we would pay the cost in the moments when worship is not easy. When we're in isolation, when we're in places of deep pain, when we're in places where we feel disconnected, there is a moment to worship the Lord right now. There's, there's a moment to touch the heart of God right now. But there is a moment, there is a price that we get to pay. There is a cost to this moment that will never happen again. And I'm, I'm praying. You know, I was just, I, man, I, I can't go through all Michael, you're going to have to cut me off. But um, I've had some very, very difficult times this year, incredibly difficult times, heartbreaking times, times where I literally feel heartbroken. And I, in those moments, the last thing in the world I want to do is worship. Actually, the last thing in the world I want to do is connect with the Lord. The last thing in the world I've wanted to do is be that spiritual giant, you know, that man of faith that I read about, you know, and I, I, I'm all, everything in my flesh is just wanting to quit. And I've had to learn a lot about paying a cost in worship and worshiping in a way that's been very different for me and paying a very different price, you know, in, in this season. And I... I don't, I don't know. I look at the future where worship is going, and I don't know fully. I don't even endeavor to, to, to even try and identify or articulate what that cost is going to be. But I do know that that costly offering, David said, far be it from me to bring anything to the Lord, that, to bring something that costs me nothing. And there is something 
There's something about paying that cost and lifting up a sacrifice of praise in a place of um, of whatever it may be, but in a place where, where you know, oh, this is costly. This is something that is going to move the heart of God. And we have a moment right now to provoke heaven, to provoke heaven, but it won't necessarily be from the stage and it won't necessarily be it may not actually be in our gatherings, guys. I love our gatherings, and I'm hear me. I, I just I can't wait. But it may not be there. The, the places where we get to provoke heaven may be very hidden right now, but they will be eventually seen and felt throughout the earth. And so I just want to encourage you guys in these moments, set it in your heart. The next month, be someone that provokes heaven. Be someone that provokes heaven. With, with a costly sacrifice and play, whether it's in a place of suffering, whether it's a place of pain, whatever it may be, begin to lift your praise in that place. And I feel like the Lord just wants to pour himself out in a radically different measure as we begin to learn how to walk that out in our everyday lives, in the nitty gritty, in the hard moments, in the hard decisions, in, in, the, in the tough marriages and in all of whatever the places may be, there is an offering of worship to be raised right now that is going to shake the earth. There, would you, would you pray for us? Would you just pray and release whatever the Lord gives you, if he gives you a word for us, uh, an encouragement, a warning, whatever. Just, just, we would be, we're hungry and we wanna, we wanna please the Lord. God, would you pierce our hearts with what is piercing yours? Would you break our hearts, Lord, for what is breaking yours? We want to be a people who know your heart. We want to be one with you. We want to be one with you, Jesus. We want to be captured by you. Oh, how our hearts long, thirst to know the living God. Lord, align us, align us, align us with heaven, align us with your heart. Lord, in your mercy and in your kindness, would you align us fully with your heart? Any place that's, that's, that's out of joint, Lord, any area that's lame inside of us, Lord, would you heal? Would you align? Would you purify? Would you refine us, Lord? We're asking tonight for salve for our eyes that we might truly see. We're asking, Lord, that you would replace any filthy garments or rags that we've been clothed with. We're asking for an exchange. We're asking for those white robes of righteousness. Lord, I'm asking that you would clothe us. Lord, we come to you and we're asking Jesus for the things you tell us to ask you for. Lord, we are, we are, we, we are ready. We're in earnest. We are, we are zealous to repent for any way where our hearts have not been fully aligned with you, where we have allowed, um, 
our expressions to be even greater than our, our internal affections towards you, God. I pray that you would light such a fire inside of our hearts, that you would light such a fire inside, like in the hidden places, in the hidden moments. God, that you would begin to birth something in us that we have not yet seen in worship before, Lord. We know the songs. We, we know the power. Lord, we are longing. We're hungering for the more. God, the more that is yet to come. God, would you ignite our hearts? Would you sanctify us, Jesus? Would you put in us a thirst for holiness? Jesus, again, would you put in us a thirst for holiness, God? That we would, as Michael said, we would be ruthless with sin. We would be ruthless. We would be obedient to you, Jesus, above all. We wouldn't allow what has become common and acceptable in culture to be the thing that leads us, but we would cling to your words. Lord, we would cling to your words and we would allow your words to penetrate us. There would be no resistance to your word in us, God. Find an open heart. Find a willing heart. Find an obedient heart, Jesus. that you would be known, that you would be glorified, that your name would be exalted. We say with the psalmist, not to us, not to us, but to your name be the glory. God, I pray that you would ignite worship, that you would even take this group of believers to a greater level of purity, that power, that true power would begin to be released into the earth, God, that you would mark them in your presence. God, that you would not allow momentum and popularity and numbers to sway them in any way, shape, or form, Lord, but there would be such purity and such consistency and such singularity in their pursuit of Jesus. Protect them, guard them, be a shield around them, and I just bless the work of your hands. I bless the favor that is rising, God, and I pray that many would be brought into the kingdom and many worshipers would be made. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Come on, we receive it. Everyone, just 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 lift your hands to heaven. Father, we receive. We receive this. We agree with it. We give our most authentic and real amen. Do it in us, Lord. Do it here in our hearts, in our families, in our marriages, in our homes. Do it in the life of everyone watching. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Jeremy, we love you. We really love you and it's such an honor to have you on. And Come visit us, please, one day. Since you laid hands on those guys, you made Jesse and I work harder. <laughs> we love you, Jer. I think I speak for everyone. We're, we're grateful for your love for Jesus. Would you guys let Jer know you love him? Thank you, Jer. Talk to you soon. Beautiful. Oh, how many of you feel that? Can uh, we grab this stool? I'm not one of those. I know it's in, but I'm not preaching sitting down. Not till I'm 90. Wasn't that wonderful? How many of you feel the Lord? We're going to receive communion here in about 15 minutes, but 
I, I want to talk to you just as a, as a pastor. I want to tell you what I told the team in the back. Uh, last Sunday night was sovereign and holy. How many of you were here Sunday night? How many of you were here? How many of you were not? Okay, a good bit of you. The Lord really came and we lingered in his presence for hours. Uh, that song that we were singing, the Lord gave that to me in my prayer room, I don't know, two months ago maybe. And uh, it was actually Jer and Steph, who I know Steph's watching as well. They were like, you've got to start writing. And uh, so I was with Jesus. How many of you know you don't go to Jesus for songs. You go to Jesus because he's beautiful. And I was just there in the morning and I felt this little chorus fall, a melody fell into my heart and then a chorus. And Last week I looked at Dom, I go, I, shut, well, I ran to Joel first, who's a champion, and I said, I'll sing it in your ear. You start playing it. And he did. He said, sing it one more time. So I did. And he kept, he, he caught it. And then I said, Dom, you're going to sing this. She goes, what? <laughs> I've never heard it. And, uh, and we did. But the Lord came, uh, which is more important than a song coming. The Lord came. And it would be foolish of us to just move on. I think I'm good. Maybe, yeah, let's try it without it. And if I feel the shift, we'll just go back to it. Um. Yeah, that's perfect. That's perfect, yeah. Back up a little bit. Sorry. <laughs> Just a little, though. Yeah. So, the Lord comes, and uh, he doesn't tease us, but he does test us. Song of Solomon says, I stand outside the door, my locks are wet with the dew of night. In other words, Jesus stands outside the door of our hearts so long that his hair gets wet. That's the picture of it. Revelation 3 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open, I'll come in. I'll dine with him and he with me. I believe the Lord looks at a people and comes in and maybe he offers us just the hem of his garment. For the sake of the example, maybe just his hand, maybe just a quick breath or a quick visit, looking to see if we are people who will respond. I've discovered that uh, if we don't respond, he'll keep it moving and find the people who will respond. And I want our reputation here. I should say I want our reputation in heaven to be that when Jesus comes, everything stops. Everything. Our ambitions, our dreams, our plans, our building in line with what Jeremy said, I am not trying to build a big church. God never called me to build a church. Jesus builds the church. I said, Jesus builds the church. So every pastor here, you can lose the pressure of building the church. You were never called to build the church. Isn't that wonderful? 
But I'm not trying to build something of great magnitude or even influence. I want to see something pure arise. My focus is on the purity of it all. More specifically, his purity. The growth is up to him. Whatever comes, comes. But my job is to tend to this garden. And when the gardener comes for a testing visit, I want him to know that we are here and ready. One time I was speaking to a friend who was in the manifest presence of God, visibly manifested. Literally with your eyes you could see this shining glory. And I, when I began to talk to him about it, he said the only thing that puzzled him is why people decided to go on to the next thing. In this worshiper's heart, he thought, well, we worship so the Lord will come, and then he came, and then we just kept it moving. I don't want that for us. I don't want that for us. I want the Lord to live with us. And I want to give my entire life to hosting the presence of the Lord. Personally, in my marriage, in my children, in my family, I, I, with you. I want to give my life to that. I, I'm not trying to build the next popular church. In fact, I've made it hard on you all to come to church. On purpose. See, this generation, most church planting movements think the easier you make it, the greater the movement. Oh, no, no, no. We need to give this generation something to die for. Something to die for. You, you precious people wait in a line. We have security because how many of you know, uh, well, Holy Spirit environments tend to draw some interesting people. If you're interested in the room, we still love you. But if you play games, you'll be out really quickly. So we have security. How many of you are grateful for our security team? Yeah. They're wonderful. Think about it. You get here, some of you at 3 o'clock, or you wait in line. You do it in August, which sounds like she-ol. <laughs> but you do. You, you wait out there. And then some of you come because we've limited seating capacity because of just the hour we're in. We've cut seating capacity down just to be sensitive. And some of you, are, you're, there's people listening to me, though, and they're, they're in the overflows and, and the other overflow. Then they're sitting in the lobby, and some, some don't get in, and some watch. I mean, I think Steph has a group of people just out of her house on Sunday nights just watching. Last night I FaceTimed, or last week I FaceTimed them right here from the platform. When all of you were worshiping, I FaceTimed Steph, and she turned her lens around on her phone. She answered. She goes, you have to see this. And everyone in her house was under the power of God. They were worshiping the Lord. And I thought, I thought, why is this happening all over? 
But why? 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 Why are you doing that? Why are you waiting? We don't. We have a church this size. We don't even have our own building. This is not. This is against all the textbook stuff. I've never once given you a emailed you a series. Never had a launch meeting. We, our launch meeting was the glory of God in a little Presbyterian church. Seventy of you were supposed to come and 400 of you radicals showed up the first night. And you never left, which I always could drive up going, they're still coming. What is it? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's His presence. It's the presence of Jesus. That's my ambition. I look at Bethann. I look at... Amy, I look at all of these students, these, these third years who have stayed with us and been patient with our growth as leaders. And I've wondered how patient you all have been as Jesse and I have grown and our team. I mean, you don't just sign up for stuff like this. Why the presence of the Lord? It feels like the Lord is wanting to communicate to me that his presence is enough. And I just want to say, in line with what Jeremy said, if we lose his presence, we lose everything. Now I know why David prayed, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. What is it? What is it about? What differentiates one altar call from another? What causes little children to, to run down, to drag their parents down to the altar. What in a few moments will cause that miracle to happen in your body when we receive the elements of communion? What is it? What is that distinguishing marker with a capital M? It is the Spirit of the Lord. I tried it the other way. It was horrible. I feel like this generation is over-marketed. I do. I, I feel like uh, advertisement has taken the place of his glory. It just comes from every angle, and everybody's got the next best idea, and the next best strategy, and the next great conference that teaches you how to gather a people. But the Bible says, unless the Lord builds the house, they that labor, labor in vain. And I'm, I'm amazed, as amazed as you are, to watch the Lord draw the nations. Our team lives 45 minutes from here. We, uh, they say that people won't come to church consistently if they live more than 15 minutes away. It's what they say, but it's not what God says. But when the Lord's here, whoa, he can draw your heart and draw you with cords of love and pull on you. There's something about the presence of Jesus. Something indescribable. He changes the air. He kisses the air with a brightness, with a life, with this. 
You know the glory is much different than the anointing. Much different. That anointing is a gift. That anointing requires cooperation. That anointing requires faith. That anointing requires you and God walking down the same path together. He says, go, you go. He rewards your obedience with a greater flow of power. But I'm talking about something a little different. The glory, when the God comes in his manifest presence, he tells the people, I have come to live with you. In his presence, he benches us. Andy Bird, who was here a few weeks ago, said beautifully once, he said, you know, I, I don't know what to think of Michael when I first had him at YWAM in Kona. He said it was really interesting. When he'd leave the meeting, none of us knew he left. And at first I thought, I don't know how to receive that, Andy. He goes, no, bro, you'd leave the tent, and we didn't even know. And I thought, well, I think that's a compliment. He said, bro, it's a great compliment. Because when you left the tent, Jesus stayed in there. And I thought, Lord, is it possible to see a people gather in and with Jesus? Not unto men. Not, give me purity over gifts any day. Purity is piercing. Anytime you take Jesus away and people are left with his anointing, they will squander the anointing. I'm not talking about you receiving the impartation of a gift, though that's wonderful. The Scripture says we should covet the gifts of the Spirit, but if you fall in love with the gift giver, you will not lack the gifts of the Spirit. I've never seen since 1989, I, since then, I have never seen anyone who's burning with the love for Jesus that has an anointing shortage. But I have seen many people with gifts who fall out of love with Jesus and break his heart. If you get this one thing, and in our building, when we get it, say thank you, Jesus. When we get our building, somewhere on that land, on that property, it's going to say, only one thing is needed. Just one thing. And Jesus calls that one thing the better part. Mary chose the better part, and it cannot be taken away from her. I want to read you this scripture and then we're going to receive communion. How many of you feel the Lord? Is it freezing in here? Okay. Could we just do something about that and maybe be a little more aware of your skin cells when you set the thermostat team, please? <laughs> All right, simmer down, as Nico would say, calm down. Where's Nico? <laughs> calm down. 
Let me read this to you. Psalm 137, verse 1. Let's grab a seat. Stay with me here. Psalm 137, verse 1. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Are you all there? Say yes if you're there. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept. When we remembered Zion, we hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. For there those who carried us away captive asked of us a song. And those who plundered as us requested mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. This song is about a people who were forced to sing the songs of the Lord outside the presence of the Lord. By the, river, by the rivers of Babylon, there we wept. Those who carried us away, verse 3, said, sing me a song, entertain us. Babylon today still seeks to take the bride captive. There are two types of worshipers. One is the bride. The other has married Babylon. The rivers of Babylon in verse 1, they're beautiful to the eye the Tigris and the Euphrates, they're much bigger than the Jordan. They seem to have a lot more to offer. Yeah. Much more grand and much more powerful and much more, here's a God we've raised up, influence. Yeah. We've deified influence. If influence, if numbers were success, if church attendance was a sign of success, that means the few at the foot of Calvary's cross would have been proof of Jesus' failure. But friends, the cross was not a failure. By the rivers of Babylon, yea, we wept. Those beautiful to the eye, powerful, Glorious to the eye, rivers. 
We wept there. But how we miss the Jordan. The little Jordan that the eye would mark, that the king marked when Elisha said, get into the Jordan and dip yourself there and lose your leprosy. You find a humble, simple environment that is a true river, that it flows in the presence of God, it'll remove the leprosy of your life. Sin will fall off if you stay in the river of the Holy Land. And today Babylon knocks. Build me something majestic. Just like its tower, the Tower of Babel, that was the example of man's ability to do something great on their own and ascend to the heights of heaven, just like their father who said, I will ascend the hill of the north. I will be like the most high. I will take the throne of God. The father of that perspective is none other than the devil. Build a tower that speaks of us. Build a tower that draws people to us. Friends, I want to tell you right now, with the best of my ability and with the mercy of God, I am refusing to build a tower that says, come look at us. I don't want to build a tower that way. You see, that's why Pentecost and Babel are so different. On Pentecost, God came down. At Babel, man elevated himself. You know what the word Babel means? Confusion. Confusion. God confused them. What happened on the day of Pentecost? They gave them, God gave them a new language. And the Spirit spoke through them. This is what the Lord's doing. The pure, holy bridegroom is building a pure and holy people. Why don't you raise your hands and say, Lord, do it in me. Come on, say it out loud. Lord, do it in me. Do it in us, Lord. To get daily teaching from Michael and to follow our event schedule around the world, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Be sure to subscribe to the Jesus Image TV YouTube channel as well. By partnering with Jesus Image, you will help us take the saving and healing power of Jesus to the world. Your giving changes lives forever. For more information, please visit us online at JesusImage.tv or write us at Jesus Image, P.O. Box 950-640, Lake Mary, Florida, 32795. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. Jesus is the answer for every life, everywhere.